0: Okay, let's clear up a few rumors. I am not Lowell Grisham. I thank God every day for that. My name is Dennis Campbell, and it is a delight to be here with all of you, and to be here with my good friend Lowell. Now, most people, when they really have to, can conjure up some warm, uh, kind of fuzzy memories of Christmas. It's not the case for everyone. But for most of us, we can, right? This is the point where you nod your head. Okay? I can vaguely remember a few Christmas pageants as a child, you know, trying to remember the words to my part, and it was generally a good memory, and I certainly remember Christmas dinner at my grandparents' farm. Lots of family from far away gathered an enormous amount of food. I mean, right now, our fridge at the St. Martin Student Center is crammed full. That's kind of Christmas, isn't it? I remember one particular Christmas dinner when there were so many present at my grandparents that we could not all sit together at the table. But we did gather around the table for my grandfather to pray the same table blessing grace that he always did. And uh, as my grandfather began to pray, my cousin Keith was standing beside me. He was probably maybe five or six. And I don't know, I guess Keith felt like For this festive occasion that we needed an appropriate soundtrack to my grandfather's blessing. Because as my grandfather began to pray, Keith put his hands together and he started to sing Silent Night. Along in the background is Silent Night. It could have been a real... Hallmark moment, <laughs> except for the older cousins, my older brother and a couple more, who burst into hoots and howls of laughter, and, and they teased Keith about this, well, they're probably still doing it, fond memories you conjure up about Christmas. I wonder if years later, if Mary and Joseph had fond memories of that first Christmas. There was certainly not a feast of abundance with loved ones gathered around. The birth undoubtedly caught them unprepared. Think about it. Who in their right mind would have started a hundred-mile journey from the small hamlet of Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem. The first day of travel, they would have passed the Sea of Galilee, where years later, Jesus would carry out so much of his ministry. A hundred-mile journey because the Roman emperor required that each person return to his or her ancestral city for a census, which undoubtedly had nothing to do with the Roman government gathering helpful demographic information, but rather was simply a means to facilitate taxation. Further oppression of a conquered Jewish people, Joseph as a man of no power, a carpenter who worked with his hands, dared not resist and so they complied. And he packed up pregnant Mary and made the trip past the Sea of Galilee, through Jerusalem, Through the dangerous wilderness, which was populated by both wild, dangerous animals and thieving bandits. And finally, to Joseph's hometown, Bethlehem. But of course, there was no warm homecoming waiting for them. No warm homecoming with festive food and family. They didn't even have a place to stay. Apparently, Joseph had no family there to greet them, or maybe, who knows, maybe he was estranged from his family. We just don't know. They couldn't even get a cheap room at the La Quinta, right? (laughs) Right? So they slept with the animals in the barn. Now, we do a pretty good job of romanticizing and sanitizing that nativity scene with colored lights and the smell of cinnamon and apple cider. I mean, when did that get started? For Joseph and Mary, there was little light lots of cold drafts, and the smells were of livestock, not cinnamon laced with apple cider. And yet, this, think about it, this is the humble scene where God chooses not to make an appearance, not a brief appearance, but to enter the world of humanity in the most radical fashion you can imagine. Not God as the giant force in the heavens, not God as storming thunder and lightning, not even God in the form of some great archangel. But God, the creator of the universe, enters humanity in the cold darkness of night as a helpless infant born to impoverished and powerless parents. This particular biblical story and this specific feast day of the nativity of Jesus Christ is a critical touchstone to us as Episcopalians, as Anglican Christians. Because we tend to have a very, very high doctrine of the incarnation. This understanding of that God became human affects the way we understand everything about being human. Over 30 years ago, a theologian, you've probably never heard his name, Urban T. Holmes, Terry Holmes, he wrote that the great German-American theologian, a name you've may have heard of, Paul Tillich. Terry wrote that Tillich suggested on several occasions that the doctrine of the incarnation was the Anglican heresy. Now, I for one will tell you that that's a good example of where German Protestant theologians will never really understand Anglicans, Episcopalians, and how we do theology. We're not systematic theologians. We tend to be more like poet-priests. Our understanding of the Incarnation isn't just that God loves God's creation and humanity to the point that God is willing to, quote, sink to the depths of becoming a human, but rather that God loves God's creation and humanity and everything that God creates and values it all as something that is good, and even holy everything god creates it is the understanding that stands counter to the limited and narrow calvinistic view that says that the only way to understand humanity and god's physical creation is as that negative image of quote total Depravity. This Anglican understanding of the incarnate God sees even the humble surroundings of an animal filled stable and the messiness of human birth as a holy expression of God's self and God's grace. This full and affirming understanding of the incarnation of Jesus Christ doesn't call us to ignore, in the least bit, the dark brokenness of this world. But it does enable us, at the same time we see what is wrong, to also embrace beauty and the goodness and the holiness of of the rest of God's creation, which includes our physical humanity. And, of course, that is why true Anglicans, true Episcopalians, never make very happy Puritans. (laughs) Any Puritans here? (laughs) So... With these theological meanderings in mind, and I promise you the assurance of God's love and grace on your hearts, I pray that you being ever mindful of the needs of others will fully, I mean fully, enjoy the feast of this glorious season For the next 12 days, God calls you to enjoy fully this season. And I wish you a happy and merry Christmas. Amen.